there's no reason. It seems like a reasonable thing to ask uh, if you're yeah. if you're cutting your belly. I, mean, I don't know uh, how he escaped the the, the spellcasters and the uh, Grand Dark Mage leading the army, but I'm not sure about that. I can't talk <laughs> about that as such. I do know how he escaped that temple, though. Hello everybody, I'm Pax and this is Brotakus, the show where social degenerates argue about why Goku should lose custody of his children. We believe you don't need a major in anime studies to enjoy this wild, beautiful, strange art form and we are so lucky to have you on this journey with us. Today is another episode where we are bringing on people who actually know what they're talking about. I know, I know, I know, but give us a chance. Today we have on amazing historian Thomas Lockley. Thomas Lockley is a associate professor at Nihon University College of Law in Tokyo where he teaches courses about the international and multicultural history of Japan and East Asia. He's published several dozen research papers and articles, including the first in the world regarding the life of Yasuke. He co-wrote the groundbreaking book, African Samurai, the true story of a legendary black warrior in feudal Japan with Jeffrey Girard in 2019, and is currently working on his first educational manga series. Straight from Japan, it's Thomas Lockley. How are you doing today? Good uh, Good evening. Good evening. Morning here. Uh, I think we're about... 14 hours difference is that correct yeah i yep. think so i think so so thank you so much for you know making that work we really appreciate it because it's eight where you are now it's nine o'clock nine o'clock in the morning oh yeah okay fantastic fantastic so um thomas thank you so much for coming on did did i did i get anything wrong in that bio <laughs> i just want to double check you made me sound a lot more impressive than i actually am which is kind of you <laughs> but uh yeah thank you I I think you're not giving yourself enough credit because, again, and stop me if I'm wrong, Nihon University is the largest in Japan, right? That's correct, yeah. You've done your And the College of Law yeah. is the oldest department of that, right? Correct. That's prestigious. Correct. You've done your research. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, we, I have, I have. We were, as a university, we were set up in the same year as the first Japanese constitution, 1889, uh, to provide legal scholars to be able to work with the constitution and build new law courts. Uh, therefore, the what became Nihon University at a later date was based upon the law law school, basically. Now we just teach everything, and I'm an English and history teacher uh, or professor, if you like. And uh, of course, mm-hmm. I have research responsibilities as well, and that's where Yasuke comes in. Absolutely. What was it on your journey that kind of brought you to Japan to start teaching the subject, especially at a, a college like Nihon University? I've been in and out of Japan for about 21 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is Japanese. Um, uh, my kids are Japanese. Uh, maybe one day I will be Japanese. And um, we, my wife and I decided pretty early on that we wanted to live here. We were in the UK at the time, but we decided to, to move back to Japan. And uh, we've been here ever since. And as a as a teacher, um, the job at Nihon University came up. Uh, I applied and got the job. So that's how it went. Uh, I'd like to say there was a grand plan in there, but there isn't. Um, but I'm very happy to be there as I am now. Yeah, absolutely. So, so did you ever teach um, out west, or was your your teaching experience centered in Japan? I was a high school teacher in the UK. Uh, so was my wife, for that matter. Um, we went back specifically to get certain qualifications that we would need mm. to then come back to Japan. So we did those in the UK. And then we worked for a few years. Um, it's always good to have experience of different things. And um, then moved back to Japan in 2000 and. Do you find there's any like temperamental or cultural difference between teaching students? Because I teach, um, I teach kids at like a, a local uh, drama academy over here in New York, and it's you know very different. But uh, I'm curious, of course, high school, college, different elements. But what was your experience with that? Um, I would think that drama students are, are pretty dramatic uh, compared with uh, <laughs> yeah. compared with um, legal students who have to to learn English as part of their right. degree. So I suspect that we're coming from a different base. Um, <laughs> also, I was teaching high school in the UK um, in a what we call a comprehensive school. So that's a, a school where basically anybody can go. And here I'm teaching non-major English courses. 
and on top of that, history courses as well. So I suspect that the students are far more focused on the history than they are on the English, which is why I started teaching the history to get them interested in the English. Uh, and Yasuke came out of that because he was always my student's favorite story. Um, I have hundreds of these stories which I teach in lessons and it turned, in, turned into more history than English. In fact, it's now basically 100% history, but um, gotcha. <laughs> uh, the students seem to like that and, uh, of course, I do as well. So, yeah. Now, Yasuke being one of their favorite stories, um, I had, have seen a, a couple of interviews you did, one with Black in Japan, which was... Uh, such such amazing work that he puts out um and and you talked about how there has been kind of a decade by decade cultural evolution of how japan has interacted with the story of yasuke as first as like folklore but then as history and and how it's been adapted can you kind of describe why this was something that like the students might have been familiar with before actually since that youtube program was made about three maybe even four years ago it was a long time long time ago Mm -hmm. Uh, there's been a lot more uh, research that's come to light. In fact, that Yasuke's story in Japan stayed alive for 50 to 100 years after he disappears from history. So artwork um, has come to light, which I didn't know about then, for example. And I've talked to art historians about a specific picture of him sumo wrestling, which was originally Mm. dated just after he was around, but historians are now dating it 30 or 40 years later. So... We've got that period of maybe 50 to 60 years after he disappears from history where his legend in Japan only, well, it must have been huge for him to be the subject of artworks and and even one of them looks like a series of commercial products with his face on them, essentially. What we would now class that, there's a... There's a uh, there's a wow. brush case for uh, for writing uh, for writing with a brush in, in Japan. There's a gunpowder flask, and they have the same picture on them. How they they could have been hundreds of these products with with his picture. Uh, so the, his his legend obviously lived on a lot there. Then we come to the 20th century where he comes back into consciousness because works which the Portuguese wrote 400 years ago, which had disappeared in, into moldy libraries in the Vatican and places like that, were translated into Japanese, in modern Japanese, and therefore wow. researchers could get their hands on them. Um, his story comes up in about three or four places within this, this much huge, this is a huge amount of work, thousands of pages of letters and other things. His story comes up four times perhaps. And but it, it's good enough for us to get a feel of what he was, what he was doing during the years that he was serving Nobunaga. Um, so this starts, and then in the sixties, uh, an author called uh, Kurusu, um picks up this story and then writes a what is essentially an early manga. Uh, it, it's one of the earliest mm. uh, examples of a historical manga, not in the slightest what you would think of as a manga. But it's within that progress, uh, and it was called Kuroske, uh, the black, the black boy, essentially. Um, his name is Yasuke, so she just changed it a little bit to base the character on his story with a slightly different name. And she's the first in a long line of people to do this: authors to change his name slightly or to use the name, change the story. So he, he's, if you're a drama teacher, you'll appreciate this. He's forcing drama into people, into stories through just his very being. And um, then we come down to a slightly more historical perspective in the 90s. Um, he starts appearing as a, as a bit part, of course, on dramas, television dramas, or with Nobunaga or with Hideyoshi. He's just, nobody knows who he is, really. He's the black guy in the, in the, in the shot. Um, he, he's factually there. <laughs> He, he he would have factually been, but they don't say who he is or anything like that. And then you have the big one, Afro Samurai, which is based upon his vague story, but set in a future of apocalypse. And um, mm. that kind of goes global. Um, it's, it's, it's huge. Millions and millions of copies have been sold. Animes have been made from the manga and everything. And um, so that brings his attention really into 
a global perspective rather than just in Japan. And from there, 10, 20 years, I, I don't know, I can't even count how many books and the manga anime he's appeared in. And to be honest with you, I keep on finding new ones that I'd never heard of. It, it's dozens, it could even mm. go into the hundreds. Um, is there one that, that pops out as a particularly strange one that, that kind of made yeah. you uh, kind of give yeah, you pause for Yeah, there's one where he appears as an American baseball player sent back from the future, <laughs> <laughs> back from the future uh, with, <laughs> with a Japanese high school student who's sent back to the future to change history. So he's sent back and changes into Nobunaga, an American baseball student, uh, baseball player student is sent back as Yaskin. So... That that's uh, I, I'm struggling now to think what the name of the anime is, but I believe it's even in English. So certainly on YouTube, it's mentioned in the book. So if you want to um, check it out, you can see in the book. All right, awesome, awesome. So audience, get on that. Drop the uh, drop the links in the comments. We need the source on that. Um, I think that there's a lot of questions that I want to ask you specifically about the the construction of this really groundbreaking book, kind of bringing so much more um, light on Yasuke into the mainstream. Because in addition to the book that you wrote with uh, Mr. Gerard, you also published a more uh, kind of straight history in, in Japanese. Is that correct? Um, well. I, I'm just fascinated by his story um, as a as a human being. Yeah, it, it's it's you couldn't make it up. It's just way too romantic and and uh, powerful, and I, I just wanted to find out more. Um, that's what it started with. Um, I was originally going to write a novel, but then family things got in the way, mm-hmm. children being born, things like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, careers <laughs> needed to be made and money needed to be made to put food on the table, that kind of thing. And then um, a few years later, I had a bit of time and knocked it out as an academic paper. Um, there was so much more to it than could be fitted into 10,000 words that I reached out to some publishing people and they said, why don't you write it as a as a academic book? So I did, and that was translated into Japanese uh, and published here. And it's still being published now. It's into about fourth fourth edition, I think. Um, that's huge because one one of my majors was English and I've, I've read so many research papers over time that's huge to get like a fourth printing that's it's because he keeps on coming up on television newspaper here and every time a few more hundred or a few thousand books are sold and the publishers go oh yeah and then they knock out and <laughs> put a little advert in the paper saying third edition <laughs> fourth edition or whatever and another thousand are printed and, and it's, it's doing well and it's good because um because it, it's bringing the real story to the Japanese public in a way which wouldn't otherwise happen. And I have to say that mm-hmm. that has been entirely uh, positive. The NHK program that was done recently is, is also coming up into its fourth uh, showing as well. So again, um, Yasuke's story is, is a very, very popular story here, partly because mm-hmm. Japan itself is becoming more of a multicultural society and to find some antecedents to find some um, times in Japanese history before when multiculturalism has been uh, a lot more uh, accepted for example so Yasuke's story fits in really really well with this and he's kind of coming out at just the correct time yeah absolutely and yet I think that what's what's extra important that your book is doing is that there are have been so many misconceptions about Yasuke because mm-hmm. Although, uh, from from what I recall from the book, he grew up amongst um, what you were pretty sure was the the, the Dinka people in uh, East Africa. Is that am I yes recalling that correct? You're correct. Um, that that that's just a hypothesis. Um, right. It, it's not fact, and we will never know for fact unless something amazing appears. Uh, we will never know for a fact yet. Gotcha. But so uh, Yasuke's early life because. Um, I think often he's portrayed as a slave until Nobunaga gave him his his freedom, uh, essentially. So, but yeah. what was his early life really like? From what we know, finding his way onto the ship, eventually going to Japan. Well, first of all, I think the concept of slave has to be looked at because whether he was a slave or not, he was a he was the top class of slave. And for us these days, we think of slaves in rags in fields doing all sorts of nasty work. 
uh, this man would have been dressed like a prince. Um, he would have been bearing weapons. He would have been fed the best food because he was a bodyguard. And one thing mm. you don't do is treat your bodyguards badly. <laughs> you <put> your bodyguard, <laughs> <laughs> you I your guess body- I never put two and two together there. Yeah. <laughs> you treat your bodyguard badly, <laughs> you're likely to end up with no body yeah. <laughs> to be guarded. Um, yeah. So whatever we think of as a slave was not what you're thinking. Yes, it would, it would be not how you figure Yasuke. It's highly likely that he was actually a free man by the time he got to Japan. Uh, again, there's probably no, no proof because the Jesuits officially did not own slaves. Um, they did. And they clearly right. owned slavery, but officially they didn't. And therefore, nothing is ever written down with... Sorry, a little bit is, but not a lot is written, written down in um, concrete terms. It's the boy or the girl or the young person. And that's a euphemism for, for a slave often used um, in, in Portuguese at the time by the mm-hmm. Jesuits. Um, Yasuke is just called the black guy um, by the Jesuits, uh, which again is maybe a euphemism uh, for right. a slave. It may just be because he was an African, they called him the African. Um, mm-hmm. th- these things are, are not clear and they're not meant to be. The Jesuits didn't want us to know that they were having slaves in the Far East. They didn't want that kind of thing to come out. So anyway, whether he, it, it, it's almost irrelevant whether he was a slave or not, because he would have been far, far richer and far better off than 95% of the world's population at the time, probably anyway. Um, and he would have been a very honoured bodyguard of the most honoured Catholic in Asia. So um, by the time he gets to Nobunaga, he's already in a high status African. Then he just turns into another high status African in a different culture. Um, right. For him, I don't. it would have been an eye-opener, of course, but he wouldn't necessarily have felt any huge difference in um, exactly uh, money. But, well, no, actually, Nobunaga gave him a lot of money. So he probably would have been a lot richer. Yeah, he'd have been a lot mm. richer. Um, he would have had similar duties, probably. Uh, bodyguarding duties, uh, intimidation duties, um, that kind of thing. Um, servants in those days were meant to show honor to their masters. If you had a servant, that meant you were a big big guy. Uh, and therefore, the, right. the bigger and the better your servant, and uh, the bigger the more powerful looking your servant and the better dressed he or she was, the more powerful the master was. Um, well, and I, I think that's actually a great point to kind of hone in on the the size and the the power of it when he arrives in Japan, uh, around what we could figure like six foot two, whereas the average Japanese person was I think under five feet probably, was was what was in there. And so, could you describe? Yeah, could you describe the kind of initial like uh, riot that happens just by Yasuke's presence in the square and how this first attracts the attention of Nobunaga? There's two riots. The first riot is when he arrives in Sakai, which is uh, basically Osaka now. And Mm -hmm. they've never seen anybody like him in the the capital region, in the center of Japan. And um, it's recorded that Basically, buildings collapsed. People were on roofs and they collapsed in, but nobody cared. They're <laughs> just happy to see it. Uh, <laughs> he, he gets up on a horse. <laughs> they push through the crowds and they get out of the city into the countryside and then process through. Um, uh, for, I think it's about three days. Don't, don't, um, don't take that as fact. I think it's about three days. Mm-hmm. They process through the countryside and the night before... They're going to Kyoto is um, is Easter, um, so they celebrate Easter, and then the lord they're staying with, who's a vassal of Oda Nobunaga, says Nobunaga really wants to see you guys. You should go. You should go. So they go, um, and as soon as he enters into uh, Kyoto, there's a, there is a huge riot. Uh, nobody knows how many thousands, but thousands of thousands of people rioted essentially they barricade them eventually in the church uh they're pushing at the walls the church is nearly falling down around and stones are being thrown over kind of like bring him out bring him out bring him out uh we want to see him uh people are dying in the crowd they're crushed um it, it was it was a big thing but nobunaga hears this and demands to see 
who it is who's disturbing his peace or causing such a furore and um, sends soldiers to, well, we assume he sends soldiers to break up the crowd because the crowd does break up and he, he Yasuke is taken to Nobunaga. Then Nobunaga doesn't believe that he's actually a black guy because he's never seen a black guy before and has not probably heard of the existence of people with such dark skin except for gods or deities. Um, so he asks Yasuke to strip to the waist, uh, scrubs, scrubs the skin. Of course, nothing, nothing scrubs off. And basically Nobunaga... Fang, wow, wow. There's a real black guy here in front of me. Calls, calls for his sons... Uh, which, which, which coincidentally is like the exact reaction that my my uh, black friends who teach preschool in Japan right now get from the children. <laughs> like they still get the people touching the skin and being like, "Whoa, no way! What's happening?" Yeah, uh, you might not just that might not just be black people if you're in the countryside. That might be anybody who looks different. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, um, Japanese folk, especially children, are not shy. Uh, though there is a stereotype that they are. Um, and um, it, it's not offensive in any way to do that. Um, it's friendly. It's meant as a friendly gesture. And I think most of the people mm. that perhaps you're talking about see it in that way, or hope they do anyway. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I remember in my early years in elementary school, teaching elementary school in Japan 21 years ago, having similar experiences, uh, sometimes with the real small children, having like six of them jump on me at once. Um, my... I'm better off in a university, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, back to Yasuke. <laughs> um, so he, Nobunaga just calls, calls his sons, they have a party, um, and at the end of the party, um, he presents Yasuke with what is, I don't know how to say it in pounds, probably about 60 pounds worth of copper coins. Uh, think about, mm-hmm. is, I think it's a joke. It's just my interpretation of it. You get this strong guy in front of you yeah. and you give him so much money he can hardly carry it away. See how much he can actually carry. Um, and I suspect that it was some kind of joke. But it also makes Yasuke instantly a very rich man. Um, so Nobunaga makes Yasuke rich. And then some point in the next few days, we're not exactly sure when he enters Nobunaga's service. He leaves the Jesuit Valiano's service and enters Nobunaga's service. This is the point which people focus on. Was he then freed? Was he a slave? Or did it make no difference? Mm-hmm. I don't think it really matters. The fact is he's gone from one one very important man's servant to another very important man's servant. Um, concept of samurai means to serve. And therefore, in Nobunaga's terms, everybody was his servant anyway. So, um, right. Yasuke then is Nobunaga's man. Um, within a month we've seen him being given residence, we've seen him being given a sword, we've seen him um, given servants of his own undoubtedly he would have needed money Um, he becomes Mm. a rich man and a very respected member of Nobunaga's entourage. So uh, kind of coming out here because you've given us all this wonderful context on the relationship that's forming. This isn't like he just ran into some, uh, you know, senator or something. Uh, uh, can can you give us context as to who Oda Nobunaga is and what's going on during the Warring States period at this point that is making this such like a, a fulcrum of history? At this point, Japan has been at war for more than 100 years. Think about the First World War to today constant war the whole way through armies mm-hmm. going backwards and forwards fields being trampled uh, people being taken as slaves uh, bandits in the, the mountains ninja jumping around pirates controlling the seas that's Japan in 80, uh, 1581 Yasuke comes into the centre of this just at the point when Nobunaga is sweeping his way through killing all enemies, if you don't join me, you're dead, kind of thing. By this point, he's basically in control of the country. He's got the emperor in his pocket. The emperor in Japan at the time, and today was largely a non-powerful figure, a figurehead, if you like. Um, 
and Nobunaga is by far and away the most successful warlord in in a hundred years, and the, is considered as the first unifier. He's the first person to put the country back together after this hundred years of descent into factionalism and uh, very re- regionalism, essentially. He's pretty much the most respected and loved figure in Japanese history today from a 21st century perspective. At the time, people would have been a little bit more hesitant because uh, he did kill a lot of people. He probably has the blood of Mm. hundreds of thousands on his hands. Um, But what he did was effective. And the peace that then lasted until the 19th century was built upon the blood of Nobunaga's foes, essentially. Um, he was assassinated yeah. and you're going to find out about that in a minute because Yasuke was there at his death but then his successors, two of them Hideyoshi and Tokugayasu uh, finished his job reuniting the country and then put the country on a stable uh, footing which lasts 250 years until mm-hmm. modern times um, and, be- and uh, before we get to that really dramatic uh, uh wild thing that Yasuke does do at the end of Nobunaga's life they formed this really wild bond what do you think it was about their their personalities the the historicity that they they both brought that made Nobunaga so comfortable around this this well, outside quite possibly it's because of the fact he was an outsider because Nobunaga would every other person in Nobunaga's life would have been tied to Nobunaga through vassalhood family ties uh, threats, um, etc., etc. This is a warlord. This is not somebody who has friends. He would have not really been able to trust the conversation of anybody else because everybody else would have been yes men, essentially. This is a guy who, when he came home and his bed wasn't made, had all the ladies of the house executed. All the <laughs> all the servants. Gee, what? All right. Oh my yeah. God, what? So uh, this is not a guy which people would have said no to. <sighs> However, Yasuke was not tied in with this kind of <laughs> this kind of <laughs> Japanese bond, if you like. He was an outsider. He, his conversation mm-hmm. likely would have been accepted as almost friendly, if you like. Though I'm pretty sure he would have been very political about it, politic about it. Um, not saying the wrong things, but he would have been able to give experiences and talk in different ways than other people would have done. So I think the bond which we're looking at Mm -hmm. is the bond of an outsider being given preferential treatment just because he is an outsider and because he doesn't have the bonds which everybody else would have felt. And Nobunaga probably would have appreciated having somebody at least that he could chat with just about hunting or, uh, you know... um, Mm-hmm. What was the hunting in India like? What was the hunting in uh, in? Well, he Yasuke would have been taken out of Africa as a child, but he may have had tales of of uh, different types of animals, that kind of thing. And also, crucially, he would have known about war in other parts of the world. Nobunaga was a warrior; he would have been very interested in this. I would have liked to see a few more years to see whether Nobunaga actually used any of the possible tactics which Yasuke might have told him about. Um, Mm. It's a bit difficult to say um, because he dies so quickly, unfortunately. But anyway, there we go. Yeah, and when when the, do you think it was hard for Nobunaga and Yasuke to face so many warlocks and battle robots um, on the battlefield? Do you think that it, that was difficult for them to take out the android army? Yeah, efficiently. I, well, Nobunaga was pretty good with his weapons. I'm pretty sure he. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he and Yasuke was his weapon bearer at the time. So I'm sure Yasuke would have had some kind of force field or, you know, that kind of thing to uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to uh, make, make things good. Um, Nobunaga, uh, by the way, thought or at least tried to make other people think that he was semi-divine himself. Mm. And most people seem to have taken, most people, many Japanese people seem to have taken Yasuke's black skin as a sign of semi-divinity. Uh, because often Buddhas or, or gods are portrayed with black skin at, at the time and even today. Uh, and therefore, you know, what's a robot here or there? You know, if you're a divine being anyway, you just smite, <laughs> sure, you sure. Just smite the robots or, or androids or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so so 
in terms of the battles that actually happen and did not happen on the Netflix adaptation, these are, I, I, I think um, there were uh, two or three battles that they were in together that we, we know about. Is that correct? Yeah. Nobunaga is... Now, are they like engaged in combat or are they like way far back? What is, it, what is that like for them? Well, Nobunaga at this time is engaged on all fronts. He's got enough men probably well over 100,000, to be able to take on two or three enemies at one time and mm-hmm. to then put extra men in when the, the opportunity arises. And the first battle that Yesuke is probably involved in is is one of the ones like this. There's an opportunity, some some um, traitors come to Nobunaga's court. Uh, he pays them to, to give information about the ninja strongholds and how to deal with them. And Nobunaga sends in 40,000 troops well, he sends his son you know, with 40,000 troops to just destroy these ninja who had been a pain in the backside uh, for a while. Um, Yasuke and Nobunaga then tour the battlefield pretty much after after it's done. This this whole region is is pacified within days, essentially. There's it, just no, no competition. Uh, it's the middle of mm-hmm. winter. Um, all the houses are burnt down. Anybody that survived probably froze to death in the mountains. And Yasuke and Nobunaga are touring through to see the destruction wrought. And suddenly, three ninja pop up with huge guns, large ball guns, try to shoot Nobunaga. And although this is not fact, uh, it's um, it's not recorded fact anyway. It, Yasuke would have been there in that battle at that ambush with these three ninja. The ninja didn't last long. <clears throat> Nobunaga survived, although I think if I'm right, he, he one of the the um, musket balls hit him on the collar, but luckily his armor deflected it. So it was a pretty, pretty ah. close, pretty close yeah. thing for him. And several of the people around him did did die. Um, that would have been a bit of mm-hmm. a shock for Yasuke and for Nobunaga, of course, and everybody else. But then they get out. Um, the 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 assassins are killed and. Um, the region is pacified. The next battle is another opportunity, if you like, to take out an old enemy. Um, the old enemy, in this case, uh, Takira Katsuyori, uh, is in the mountains behind Mount Fuji. Very safe, mm-hmm. very safe. You, you, you know, it, you, it's very difficult to fight in those conditions. But one of the lords on his border decides that, that he's going to change sides. Uh, and goes to Nobunaga's son and says, "Look, I'm changing sides. You can come through. Just, just come, come up this pass, the Kiso Pass, and uh, and you'll 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 have this one." So Nobunaga's son immediately, on Nobunaga's orders, of course, immediately puts forty thousand troops in. I think it's forty thousand, maybe thirty-five. Anyway, they they basically just swarm up this pass, and again, Nobunaga's troops come behind his son's troops. This is a different son, by the way. And so when Yasuke is there, and we have a record of him being there, so we know that he definitely was at this one. Um, basically, they're just touring the, the battlefields, which have already been mm-hmm. yeah, wiped. Everybody's been wiped out already. There's a pattern here with Nobunaga wiping everybody out. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And, and, and to really hit, quickly hit on two, I think, important uh, things that there might be misconceptions here, one being that um, Samurai did not wear... Uh, just robes all the time <laughs> while they did their flaming uh, roundhouse sword technique. You know, the, the, there was the full armor here. Yeah, um, 60 kilos. Similarly. 60 kilos of armor. Yeah. And 20 pounds of armor. Yeah, fighting. It's a lot. I've, I've worn it before. It, it's heavy. Oh, really? Yeah. That's really cool. So one of the reasons why that was necessary is I think people... Um, Imagine that these were these were all fought with, um, you know, swords, pikes, and ninja stars. But the sheer amount of guns in Japan at yeah. this time—could you kind of give us an idea? It was it was ginormous. Well, right? there's a there's an estimated figure from the next decade of about three hundred thousand guns, which, to put it in context, was more than the whole of the rest of the world put together. So, um, well. you've got Nobunaga as the pioneer of this, and. Basically, on Nobunaga's battlefield, there weren't that many. Well, there were swords, but they weren't used that much. They they mm-hmm. were right at the end. Nobunaga pioneered the volley fire. So you've got three rows of samurai, or actually not samurai, because samurai were the officer class. These are called ashigara. They're a very basic level of conscripted peasant, essentially. 
trained to mm -hmm. uh, work in three rows. The first row fires, they then reload. Second row fires, then they reload. Third row fires, and the first row is reloaded and ready to fire again. It's essentially a machine gun, um, but right. with thousands of men doing the machine gunning. Uh, all of these armies that we're talking about here were wiped out in that fashion. Um, and that continues. That form of warfare was taken into Korea uh, in the next decade by Hideyoshi as he invaded Korea. And they came up against the Chinese in Korea. It's the sad old story of Korea being in the middle um, of uh, Japan and China. Um, and so this kind of warfare was exported. There's no record of this in Europe until the early 17th century. So it's probable that Nobunaga was the inventor of this system, which later on went to form the basis of European colonialism. Um, it, this mm -hmm. form of rapid fire and form of mass gun use was what essentially marked European armies out from armies in, for example, um, Africa or, or India. So that's so that's so fascinating the the way that history weaves together like that it is it's absolutely now fantastic. it's fantastic <laughs> yeah it it's like it's mind-blowing and I, I think that thank you again so much for for being on to kind of ex explain all of these things and i think that's something that it's one of the most i think dramatized stories even in uh <clears throat> uh japanese uh media writings, plays, storytellings and things, the, the, the fall of Oda Nobunaga and Yasuke's role in that. When this finally comes, could you kind of lay out that picture? Because I think most of our listeners probably haven't even heard this of this before. This is one of the key moments in Japanese history. You could even argue with huge effects on world history as well. Um, mm -hmm. Nobunaga has been asked to help out one of his other vassals who's fighting in the West in what is now Okayama, so that's a bit beyond Kobe. And he takes the field. Again, he send, he asks smaller vassals to get their men and to join him in the West. And he journeys to the battlefield with 30 key men, his, his, his entourage. One of those is Yasuke. Mm -hmm. um, they spend the first night in Kyoto, which is about... 30 miles from his castle and so it's a good day's horse ride basically and he um, has a tea ceremony with some members of the imperial family uh, they do poetry and stuff like that um, he retires to bed and in the morning very very early in the morning he's awoken by the sounds of gunfire <laughs> basically uh, or rowdy crowds what they think is a rowdy crowd they're not quite sure why this is Kyoto there should be nothing going on here this is peaceful it's early in the morning it turns out that one of these other vassals who had been ordered to muster his men brought all 13,000 of them to attack Nobunaga basically to assassinate Nobunaga uh, you've got 30 men against 13,000 there's no there's no competition there um, they fight of course mm. they do, but they're in their pajamas. Quite legit. They are in samurai robes. They're in the flowing robes with swords. Right, they don't yeah, have guns. Yeah. They just grab their swords from the side of their uh, from the side of their beds. They've grabbed a bow from or whatever, and uh, the odd spear. The other guys are coming in with guns blazing in full armor. You, you know, there's there absolutely no uh, no comparison there, and um, they're wiped out within minutes. Nobunaga goes to um, at the central portion of the temple where they're staying and closes the door. Legend has it there were two other people in that room as he cuts his belly. Uh, one of them was Yasuke. And Yasuke, this is led, nobody can know what happened in that room, but the, the, the family which survived to this day, the Oda family, Nobunaga's descendants, their legend has it that Yasuke was asked to take his head so that it could not be, um, it could not fall into the hands of the enemy. Um, so, if that legend is true, there's no reason. It seems like a reasonable thing to ask. Uh, if yeah. you're if you're cutting your belly, I, mean, uh, I don't know how he escaped the the, the spellcasters and the uh, Grand Dark Mage leading the army, but I'm not sure about that. I can't talk. 
about that as such. I do know how he escaped that temple, though. Um, right. He went out the back way. It's very simple. The, the attack really? would come in the front. <laughs> he went out the back. It's, it's, it's bizarre and it's simple. Enough. Yeah. Um, there are various re- records of how the attack happened. And essentially, they didn't surround the temple first. They just came in through the gate uh, and over the walls but at one side. <laughs> so Yasuke just went out the back and um, ran to another temple nearby where Nobunaga's son was staying called the Myokakuji. Mm-hmm. Uh, and son had decided to get out of the temple into a fortified compound next door. And mm-hmm. they, they, he had about 200 men. So it's a little bit a little bit more, but still not really enough when you've got 13,000 attackers. But they do fortify the compound. Uh, the problem is that the, the rebels, the Akechi um, men, then commandeer a house next door, get on the roof of the house or the second floor of the house and start gunning down the defenders inside from a higher position. Uh, so again, those defenders, this is Nobunaga's son. This is now Yasuke's new lord, essentially, because the lord mm-hmm. is dead. The son and the heir is now his lord. So he's gone to his new lord uh, to fight for him. They're all gunned down. And though we do know a few people escaped, is not very well detailed. Uh, most of them died. Yasuke did escape because then he went back to... He was taken back by the enemy to the Jesuit uh, mission house, the church, which was about five minutes walk away, so it wasn't very far. And then the the Jesuit, the missionaries, give thanks to God for his deliverance, and that's the last we hear of him in history. There's no more written mention of him. As I said, there's these pictorial uh, mm-hmm. representations of him that carry on for quite a while. Um, but there's no more, nothing more written about him that has been discovered so far. So, so how confident are you that there, that the story of Yasuke does continue after this moment, that he wasn't lost at this point of time? Um, I'm not, he could have been wounded and died from his Mm. wounds. Um, of course we'd all like to think that he had a long and happy life. Very few people in those days did. So, uh, it's not that likely. However, the fact that it, the letter which he, the letter which his survival is recorded in the battle is recorded in, was written about six months afterwards, or dated about six months afterwards. And hmm. there's no footnote or there's no other sentence to say, oh, he died of his wounds. It just finishes with, we gave thanks to God for his deliverance kind of thing. And it's possible that, that the, the person who wrote it, who's called Louis Freus, um, didn't think that that was an important detail. Um, but I suspect that he did live. What happens after that is that's where legend comes in because there are various mentions of uh, black men meeting his description over the next few decades. And um, mm. many of them are in situations which are conceivable that they could have been linked to Nobunaga or to the Jesuits or to somebody that, that Yasuke was, was linked to. Whether he was one of these people or not, we will never, unfortunately, know. Mm. Sadly. And then we retreat into the realm of the imaginary. And we look towards Netflix, where Yasuke is still there, rescuing uh, sweet, sweet Saki from the doctor's house and taking down the Catholic army before using her telekinetic powers to finally kill the witch queen. And so... Oh, you have watched it? Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't seen it, unfortunately. I don't have Netflix. Um, I would quite like to see it. Yeah. I've been told story-wise, it's... it's, it's what it is. It's 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 well written. Um, um, as, as long as you don't take it as history. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Sean Thomas um, was aiming at history. Mm-hmm. I think he was aiming. He, he hasn't contacted me or talked to me, so I don't. I don't know. But he was aiming at the fantasy, and that's what what it's been produced as. Um, I, I'm guessing it will be out somewhere where I can see it soon, and uh, I shall uh, look forward to that. But the, I do know because I saw the trailers on YouTube that it starts with him 20 years later yeah. in a bottle. Yeah, right? That is actually quite possible. You know, he was just in a mountain village, whether he was in the bottles or not, I don't know. But um, just living in a mountain village somewhere, that 
seems plausible to me. Yeah, and they do have. Granted, it's it is a, a robot mecha army that takes out Nobunaga, but they do have the moment of the <laughs> the head cut, and so uh, you know a little bit of inspiration from uh, Professor Thomas Lockley there, um, or from Yasuke's life. Or from, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't th- think there's any connection with the book. Um, Did they're not allowed to? Say that. No, I, I totally understand. Did, did you have anybody? Because I know there is still a movie in production. Um, I know that Chadwick Boseman was set to star, unfortunately, his tragic passing, but that it's still in production. Has anyone from that team ever reached out for you on kind of like historical clarification? I, I can't really talk about these things, but I can, also I, say you, I can also say to you that there's at least three or four projects on Yasuke that I know of right now. I've been told by somebody there's 10. I couldn't identify mm. them. Um, that includes the Netflix one, I presume. There's also smaller movies based on aspects of his life and a documentary, which I, I haven't heard about recently, but um, was being produced five or six years ago when I first started this project. And so, the, yeah, there's a lot of interest in uh, media going on. That's only in the States. Um, in Japan, there's been a documentary recently here um and he seems to make the newspapers quite often right now <laughs> mm. so so we why why the story is still so perpetually compelling we were talking about the way in which it you know kind of aspires the new wave of multiculturalism and and and, and openness in Japan i'm curious about what you find personally compelling about the story because there has to be a reason why you know so much of your work was put in what do you feel it was that grabbed you about his life i think from the moment i saw it on wikipedia link uh i thought this is too good to be true or mm. too it reads like fiction and i like fiction i like i like history uh related or inspired stories and this is one which nobody had done before is one that i personally felt invested in and one that i knew other people were interested in my students first of all but also friends and then the general public um it wasn't it was more of a mission for me i, I think is more of a a I want to find out more. I want to recreate this world. I've always wanted to write books anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this story came along and I tried in the book African Samurai with Jeffrey uh, to recreate the world. It, a lot of the book is not just about Yasuke. It's about his world and the things he would have seen. So what did an African guy see in Japan at that time? That, yeah. That's the kind of thing normal history books probably don't actually delve into. But the book African Samurai does. It looks at what a hawking uh, day out would have looked like for him. It looks at how it would have felt to wait for Nobunaga to beckon him or call him. It talks about what would have happened at the party that that Nobunaga threw for him. How would a Japanese party of the time have happened? That was all researched. It's not, I didn't make all that up. That's based normally on menus or experiences written about at the time mm-hmm. um although i don't know exactly if the tiny details of what yasuke actually saw but those details did happen those, those things did happen people did drink that they did eat that they they danced in that way they lived in that way they loved in that way and that was the key point i wanted to get Besides the the role of straight historicity, because you did such an amazing job uh, with your partner writing this great narrative history, what do you feel like um, for the average person when there is this mix of uh, what we do know and, and, and great records, but still so many places it's lacking that dips in the myth, what do you feel like the the role of history is, the intent in writing this book? What, what did you hope it, it sparked in people? Well, this is not the kind of history that people normally think about. Um, they don't normally think about cross-border history. They don't normally mm. think... I'm talking here from an Anglo-Saxon perspective, a North American, uh, Western European, particularly 
British perspective. They don't normally think about history um, removed from Western Europe or North America. Often that that is, you can have people that think that they know a huge amount of history that knows zero about Japan or zero about Africa, aside from its connections with Europe, for example. And in my experience, that's probably the vast majority of people with just a flickering of knowledge outside of those two areas. Of course, that's not relevant to, to Japan. Japanese people know an awful lot more about Japanese history than sure, they know about yeah. other. Um, but I'm talking about the readership, the potential readership of this book. And therefore, I wanted to show a different perspective on history as an immigrant to Japan myself. I wanted to talk about the immigration story to Japan, which is an easy, it's an easy way in to talk about it. Yasuke kind of barges his way into all sorts of other stories and history quite effectively. Yeah, absolutely. And not, not everybody who's involved in pedagogy is that interested in finding that story, touching that humanity and, and creating. I'm curious, what do you feel like it is in, in, in you just, just personally as Thomas that y you feel this desire to share the story, to work on the, the educational manga? What, 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 what does that spark, spark feel like in you as you kind of decide what to create? Good question. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Adrenaline. <laughs> I've actually never been asked that before. Um, ah, adrenaline is part of it. You know, the the process of writing a book, the process of taking a project from zero to end by the deadline, and then people mm -hmm. reading it, other people reading it, is a bit of a boost, adrenaline-wise. Um, and I suspect that that's probably at the heart of it. I mean, it's my job as well. <laughs> sure, to that it. helps. Nobody specifically says you have to write this or you have to write mm -hmm. that, but I'm supposed to do writing. About one third of my paid for university time is supposedly to be spent on research. Uh, nobody specifies what research that is. Um, so my, my one happens to be, yes, I'm a very lucky mm -hmm. man in that respect. I'm paid to do that. Um, so that helps too. Um, and yeah, I just like stories. I, li I like stories. They're, they're, they're the basis of, uh, of everybody. Yeah. Right? We all have a story somewhere. Uh, and some people's stories are happier than others. Some people's are sadder than others. They're no less compelling. Absolutely. I read one, I read the story about street children recently, uh, and my goodness, those guys often die very, very young, but their stories are just as compelling as Yasuke's. Mm. Uh, everybody's got a story somewhere. What is a, if you, if you could give shine to a particular book that you feel has been underserviced, something that you would really hardly recommend and get out there, but you don't hear a lot about, what would you throw out there? I read a book just recently called um, The Japanese, Japanese History in 20 Lives. Mm. Uh, it's by a British author called Christopher Harding. It's just out, literally just out. It takes 20 key people in Japanese history, men and women, and that's extremely key because most people just look at Japanese men, and it looks at their lives and it weaves their lives into Japanese history in a way that anybody can understand. And it presents Japan as not an exotic or a strange place, but just as is. Mm. And I... I have tried in my works to do something similar, but not as well as his. <laughs> it's super. If you want to know about Japanese history, even though you know zero about Japan, about Japanese culture, about Japanese history, read that book. The Japanese, I think it's called 20 Lives. It's called The Japanese 20 Lives by Christopher Harding. Uh, I assume it's available in the States. Um, it's certainly on Amazon, right? So it's available anywhere in the world. Absolutely. I got it in Japan, so you must, you must be able to get it. Um, yeah, we will get that. I will put that down in the description for our uh, European and American listeners if you need that link there. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of listeners who are studying uh, Japanese culture, interested really? in kind of, of moving, involved in uh, master's programs, different scholarships. I know you described kind of following life and life led you here mm -hmm. without maybe the most direct intent of like, this is the dream, this is to follow it. Any advice for people who are still pursuing that kind of pedagogical path, finding a teaching career, things that you would, wisdom that, that you might wish that you would know? In Japan or in general? 
Well, actually, like if we if we could say in Japan, people who are interested, because all the time we get, I'm interested in moving there. I'm interested, you know, it, would I just have to teach English over there? What what are the options? Manga is one of the best uh, ways into Japanese culture. I think so. If you like manga, you're、mm. already getting there. Don't believe that everything you read or see in the manga is absolutely true, but see it as a representation of the author's place in the world. For example. Um, what was the、uh, the one recently? Kimi no Na. I don't know what it is in English. It was an anime movie, like or the studio studio Ghibli movies. Oh,、uh, your name. Your name.、Is、yeah. That- for example, those are just、yes. everyday people's lives. I mean, of course, they're stories、mm-hmm. as well. They're like made up stories, but they, they. If you look at what the school looks like in in those anime, if you look like what a road looks like, what how cars look,、um, what a shop looks like, you're going to see a representation of Japan, which is really close because it's drawn by people that live there and drawn by people that walk through those places every day.、Um, that's first of all going to get your listeners.、Um, An idea of what Japan looks like—not just the mountains, not just Mount Fuji in, in Hokusai's pictures, but actually what the the Japan they will be walking through every day looks like. That's number one. Number two,、mm-hmm. if you're interested in a teaching career in Japan after COVID's gone, of course,、um, or after COVID has has at least、um, gone down a bit,、um, I definitely recommend it.、Uh, You can do it in various ways. You can do it through the government jet program, which is how I did it 21 years ago.、Uh, they will put you in a school、uh, or several schools. Sometimes you visit different schools, and you essentially are an assistant English teacher. You're not a teacher, and that's important to understand because you're not qualified as a teacher, and you shouldn't be a teacher unless you're qualified. That brings me to the next <laughs> point. You can qualify as、right. a teacher, then do it. And then you can be a proper teacher.、Mm-hmm. You can have a lot more control in your classroom <laughs> and other things. Some people who are, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it、um, to the extent、mm-hmm. that I married my boss. But that's a different situation. <laughs> that's a different story. We're gonna have、um, to have you on again for that one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. We can do that.、Um, the、uh, some people get very frustrated that they're not in control in the classroom. But from my perspective. If somebody came into my classroom that wasn't a qualified teacher and started telling me what to do, I might get a little bit frustrated、mm. too. So, always remember you need to be respectful of the pe- person whose classroom you are in.、Um, you, ninety-nine percent of people really love their time as an. It's called an ALT, an assistant language teacher. You can do that through the government. You can do it through private companies as well that dispatch you to various places. There's one called Interac. Um, I'm not advertising for them. I have no connection to them whatsoever. I'm just saying that they do send thousands and thousands of people each year to schools in Japan.、Um, then there's the other way you can be a qualified teacher and teach in a high school or a university if you've got a master's or more.、Um, by law, you can't really teach in a university unless you have a master's.、Um, so bear that in mind.、Um, Sometimes universities aren't very fussy about what the masters is in, so it could be in a cultural related thing. It could be history.、Mm-hmm. They just need a masters. Of course, it's better if it's in some English language related field. You're more likely to get a proper job rather than just as a, a temporary job. But a lot of people only want the temporary job. A lot of people are only looking for two or three years' experience, maybe before grad school or after grad school. Uh, before going and settling into a, a more substantial career, a lot of people are、um, meandering around. Do I want to teach? Do I want to go into academia? Do I want to go into business?、Uh, or about one third of the people in the State Department in the U.S. with Japan-related、uh, jobs have been through these programs.、Uh, the same is true of the U.K. as well.、Mm. If you're wanting to go into diplomacy, you want to go into civil service. It is a very, very good way of getting a, a window on Japan to take you there.、Um, talking to the British ambassador recently, he said the fact that these programs exist is a great help, both to Japan as cultural ambassadors, but also to the world having people who can be sent back to Japan、uh, as employees of their own state, the US, for example. And understand what they're seeing immediately without having to worry、yeah. about extra training. And 
That brings me on to my last point, the Japanese language. You will always, always, always get far more out of this world if you speak the language of the country that you're visiting or living in. There are people here I know who have lived here 30 or 40 years and can hardly say a word in Japanese. They've done a great job. They've had a great career. Uh, for whatever reason, they've not engaged with the language. But I've met people who've been here only two or three years that have engaged with the language that have had a totally different perspective mm. on the country. And I think that's very, very, very important point to make. If you're doing through manga, my goodness, you've got half the language already there in, in kawaii and all sorts of other things that just pop into the manga. Um, so you, that, that's a really good start, starting place to to yeah no, absolutely thank you so much your your credentials as a teacher shined so much in that answer because the the impromptu question that i just chucked out there haphazardly and your three-point brilliant response of the the in-depth <laughs> here are all the resources here are the steps to follow here if you're interested here's where to go that, that was unbelievable so thank you so much for that i really appreciate it <laughs> that wasn't rehearsed thank you for saying so no, I know that. it's something that I, it's something i am asked quite quite often mm. so um it, it it's not that that i've never been asked that question before like some of your other questions uh which i was uh, not stumped by but i had to think a little bit by but I, I do really really recommend if you are interested just go out there apply for a job um there there are lots of them going especially in the teaching field because languages are very much being promoted by the ministry of education right now and some of the, the more modern textbooks that we're writing right now here and the more modern teaching materials really require a much greater interaction with uh, speakers. And native speakers tend to be held up, rightly or wrongly, mm. as a, that's a different question, uh, to held up as good people to talk to. Right. Uh, and therefore, if you're um, many schools, well, they're, they're mandated to, they have to have some kind of native speaker, assistant, language teacher at some point. But there's also private high schools that hire people full-time on full-time contracts. And let's be honest, the money's not bad. If you're going to Japan to work for a year, you can save money and use that to support your future career as well. So. All right. Fantastic. Now, I know that you have a job, you have a wife, and you have children. And so I want to be respectful of your time. Make sure I could let you go because you've been so generous with your time. Uh, besides the Yasuke book and moving to Japan and enrolling at the university, are there any other ways for people to check out your work or support you that you'd like to plug? Oh, thank you. Um, you can go to Thomas Lockley Author on Facebook um, for academic stuff and to find out more smaller stories than Yasuke's, but still equally significant, you can go to my academia.edu page, Thomas Lockley. Um, if you can do Japanese, you can type in my Japanese name, Lockley Thomas, and find various things there too. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you so, so, so much for coming on today. This was an absolute dream and your expertise and, 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 and wisdom and skill of teaching, it, it just shines through. I, I'm, unbelievably lucky to have you on so thank you so much for making the time today thank you for having me and thank you for being so uh uh full in your praise that, that that's really kind thank you yeah, your book rocks man you deserve it it's so good it's so good you're so good at what you do you totally deserve it <laughs> uh, but uh, thank goodness this is a podcast you can't see <laughs> absolutely so i mean for our youtube listeners please ignore this but uh for <laughs> oh yes, I'm so sorry. We we do simul publish. Is that all right? We could we no, could fine, um, fine, can make you a VTuber instead, like uh, Hatsune Miku. Uh, don't worry, I haven't been picking my nose. I, I, I did flick with my collar once or twice, but that's because it's pretty hot here. Right, um, just just because right. he's styling, he's styling in Japan, <laughs> living a good it, life. Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> the thing <laughs> I find about these things is when there's two faces on the screen, right? Yeah, you the face always looks to the side, and so I, exactly. I'm trying to get it. Uh, in the middle, and I never quite yeah. get it. Because so you YouTube could like stare, viewers, stare directly please, at the camera, but mind. that feels a little weird to you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So YouTube viewers, viewers, please bear this in mind. I'm not trying to stare at myself uh, from a narcissistic point of view. I'm actually trying to work my way to look like it's natural looking at the camera. I'll leave it Absolutely. there. Thank you for Absolutely. having me. It's a pleasure.
Thomas, thank you so much for coming on. And everybody, thank you all so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting app. I do not need to tell you all the buttons that you got to hit on YouTube to help support us, but the biggest thing you could do is share us with a friend or family member who you think might enjoy this, especially if they are a history buff, because this is a lot different than debating why Vegeta is a trans mask icon or why Yu Yu Hakusho is a uh, himbo. You know, this is an actual Professor Avanon, and we're great greatly appreciative of your time and so that said i'm pax this has been brotakus and we'll see y'all next week bye y'all bye thank you <laughs>